All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20. And you get the opportunity to turn that 20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing sports sites in the USA, Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today and receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today by Director of Data and Analytics at the NFL, Michael Lopez. You can follow him on Twitter at Stats by Lopez. Michael, welcome. Kevin, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been wanting to have you on because there's a lot of things going on there. Now, I know your position, you've been there for what? Is it, is it a couple of years now? Yeah, about two and a half years at this point. Yeah, two and a half years. So th- this was a, a new position. So there wasn't anyone there. You have a very uh, qualified background. You come via uh, academia. Uh, into this role, but you also had been a participant in different sports analytics uh, studies that have come out. Um, there was a, I guess it was a Kaggle competition on March Madness that you had participated and with, with a, with, with a colleague of yours had, had, had won that before. So you come very well versed into this area. Um, was there, let me just go, go, go back to before you even started, started this role. How much do you think of what you're doing at the NFL has been you know, kind of your vision for what you wanted to do or you, you've shaped it versus what they want to do? Because I think this also can apply, although not in this, not in a one-for-one manner, but it can apply somewhat to teams too, where they may not have the, the expertise, but they have a vision of how they want to implement it. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in how that dynamic works between the practitioner and, the, and, and some of the visions um, from a higher end. It's a good question. And I, I don't think I exactly knew what I was getting into when I came to the league office a couple of years ago. Uh, and I think in large part, uh, we're letting the data drive where we go. Uh, and our data at the league office, we have access to the traditional play-by-play data. We also have access to next-gen stats, player tracking data. And so a lot of the questions that we're going to answer uh, comes, they're football questions. They're driven by the questions that our coaches, our, our, our front office people are thinking of, we're looking at it from a different lens, which is how can we enhance the game? How can we use data to better understand the game? Um, but ultimately, a lot of what we're able to do comes down to the access to data. And I think uh, the part of the reason that, that you know, the roles at the league office and also on clubs are, are growing is because the data is growing too. Um, and it, it's growing, um, you know, from a... a the number of rows in a data set from the perspective of, of the number of, of end users on teams that, that, that have interesting questions that only data can, or at least data could help with. And so, and that, and that aspect, you know, the league office was, you know, had folks that were, were looking at data and, and I'm just sort of one of, one of a couple of, of, of different data groups. And, you know, we're trying to better understand the league and its product. And I'm specifically focused on football data, uh, but we're certainly touching on a lot of aspects that, that, that come up on, on Sundays and some Mondays. And Thursdays and now Tuesdays. Yeah, pretty much will be every day of the week pretty soon. Now, you've had some obviously very public initiatives, uh, the big data bowl, data bowl, depending upon, you know, tomato, mm-hmm. tomato, um, that you've been working on that I think people know about. Um, I know that you did some some work as far as looking at different league in- initiatives with 
with injuries, with penalties and things like that. But obviously there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes too. But when you talk about this overarching goal of enhancing the game or you you hear that, you hear, you know, the quality of play, a better quality of play. But I'm always wondering about the give and take and the specifics of something like that, right? Because I think most people would say, um, you know, people could say more scoring means means better quality of play. People could say fewer penalties means better quality of play. But at the same point in time, um, you know, if you go too much in either direction for not calling penalties, which need to be called, all these sort of things. So, so how would you how would you try to describe which what you what you think of as enhancing the quality of play for the NFL? That's a, that's a great question, and and I'm not always the one that comes up with some of the questions that we're trying to answer, right? So when we work with competition committee, it's largely driven by some of the the questions that they come up with. Um, and, and a good example was a couple of years ago uh, when when the possibility of, of working with replay to better understand penalties came up. And that's a, a topic that has uh, grown in interest uh, from, from our coaches, from decision makers at the league office. And so from our perspective, uh, you know, our goal is, is to provide them evidence about, you know, how and if uh, penalties impact football games. And, and that was one example where from our perspective, if we were going to analyze uh use instant replay to look at penalty fouls. Uh, it, it makes sense to start with defensive pass interference just because that is the one that has the biggest impact on the game. And so that's an example where, you know, we're not coming up with a, a binder saying, hey, go do this. We're more saying, okay, well, there's interest in reviewing penalties. From our perspective, uh, this is this is probably the one we want to start with. And here's the reasons why. Um, and that was uh, obviously a, only a one rule, uh, one year rule change. Um, but but it does show sort of the, the interest from the league's perspective of, of understanding like, OK, you know, we have all sorts of penalties we could look at. We could look at roughing the passer. We could look at defensive offsides. Um, we could look at illegal touching. Right. And all those vary with respect to how often they occur and the importance of those penalties when they do happen. Um, and defensive pass interference sort of. Um, ticked the the sort of mark of it happens sufficiently enough and when it does happen it, it tends to impact games so um, that's kind of why the, the committee went in that direction or that was one reason and uh, that's sort of a good example of, of where we think you know we're, we're trying to better understand what's going on in the game and if if the sort of momentum for certain rule changes uh, whether it's driven by pace of play health and safety officiating uh, we're able to, to supplement a lot of the analyses. Yeah. Now I don't want to get into many of the specifics of the, the, the DPI, you know, implementing the rule, bringing back the rule, the whatever the may have been around it. But I do think it's interesting that when you're involved in this process, so this is, this is something that we probably think about a lot of of, we meaning people who think about sports in, in this analytical sort of way, things like expected points added or quantifying things in something that is translatable, but it isn't traditional essentially when, when you're thinking about it. So it, are you using things like that, like an expected points model to say, Hey, look, on average, a, uh, a defensive pass interference adds this much to a team. And if you are doing it that way, um, is it intuitive for, for people to, to understand this? Cause I'm assuming you're presenting to GMs and coaches and, and other, other players where obviously points is fairly intuitive, but you know, sometimes these concepts they come from a black box. It's a little bit opaque how, how these numbers are being derived. So I'm not sure if that part of it, um, if you can, if, if you have trouble getting buy-in because of that part of it. Uh, honestly, I, I don't know the best way to answer those questions. I mean, I, I know what we did and yeah. um, what we try to do, which is we, we have to, you have to present the metric in a way that is uh, makes it 
makes it usable for the end, the end person that, that's interpreting this. And so for our example, when we were talking about uh, the, 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 the swing in importance of penalties, we use win probability. And so we summed up the change in win probability from before to after a play. Um, in fact, we use the potential swing based on what could have happened had the penalty not been called. Uh, and you can also do the other ways when the penalty hadn't been called, et cetera. So you, you sort of do those calculations and, and we didn't start by saying, here are our findings. We started by saying, here's what win probability is. And um, you know, at that point we're in a room with representatives for certain teams. And so we can say, okay, here's an example of the Giants Ravens game. Uh, and this is a game where there was a potential uh, close defensive pass interference. And here's the swing in, in the chances for uh, this team to that team. And you can look at the representative from the Giants and the Ravens and say, does that make sense, right? Does this swing of 15%, does that seem like how you felt when you were watching that game? Um, hopefully it should. And then, you know, you sort of hope that uh, when there are other representatives, they say, actually, I want to see our game against so-and-so. Um, and, and it was the case. It was an interesting anecdote when working with Coach Tomlin and Coach Payton. They wanted to see the example of their game uh, from 2018 when the Steelers played the Saints. And to be able to say, like, okay, they don't, they're not just looking at the, the sort of animated graph. They want to see their own version of it. And so you haven't even gotten into penalties. You haven't even gotten to how you've summed it up. And you haven't actually even explained your model, which is, is, is sort of humbling and a little bit scary. Um, but you've at least got them to appreciate a little bit about how we can measure the impact of penalties. Uh, and that, that's how we did it. But again, I don't know if that's the best answer because it's not like, um, you know, we don't get four different chances at our presentation to try and get buy-in. We get one and, and we sort of have to make the best of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm assuming it helps, like you said, to um, personalize it in a way to to talk about a high impact play that's front of the mind that hopefully jibes. You know, I, I think you want to. I think you want it to be a reasonable number, but you don't want it to be um, exactly. You know, it, not providing any information beyond what they would have been able to to assume on there. So I can see how how all those different things things come together for for that. For, for that part of it. Um, so we, we talked about some other roles within the competition committee beyond penalties, but I want to stick with penalties for a little bit. And I, maybe I'll just, I'll just jump into some of the macro stuff we were seeing in the NFL this year. Um, I don't think it's, you know, I think most people know that, I don't know if all penalties are down, but offensive holding in particular is something that I've been tracking and it's down. Um, if people remember last year, in particular it's down year over year for the beginning of the season, um, there was a lot of, noise or, or, or talk about it at the beginning of at the beginning of last year because it was up versus what you had seen in prior years and now it's fl- flipped around in the other direction um I, I guess when when you're thinking about penalties as part of the game like i mentioned before there's always a give a take of you, you don't want to have too many because i think everyone says that's a bad thing but then you don't want to have just wild reckless you know anarchic uh play out there at the same time so h- how do you think about about penalties when you're when you're looking at these things I mean, ultimately, we're we're part of a larger football operations group that includes our officiating group, and um, so we're working with them frequently on several aspects related to officiating. Uh, and that could be, um, you know, working in the summer to try and identify team level trends that we can share with them to to sort of get them more ready for the games. That can be sort of uh, points of emphasis that that um, various folks in our officiating department want to to push or to sort of focus on this year. And then on a week level basis, we are tracking the crews and their um, variability in in certain types of uh, certain types of calls, certain types of 
uh, metrics that that we can track that maybe don't even have to do with calls um, in terms of other ways that that we want you know we're sort of expecting the game to flow for example um, and and certainly this year there have been some notable year-over-year -year changes uh, and you know you you mentioned one there are a lot of other ones too and I think largely some of those you know um, certain types of pre-snap penalties are, are, are down to historic lows. And so even from a perspective of, of from our perspective, at least, we are we are in a year that is unlike any other. And um, I, I don't necessarily know if, if our group uh, and at least the, the potentially the, the league at large is is totally sort of, you know, from a statistician's plan standpoint, you know, I certainly can't sit here, here, sit here and say, here's why, right? Because, you know, if, if false starts are down, um, it, it does that have to do with uh, uh, sort of points of emphasis from the officials? Seemingly that that's less likely in compared to say, uh, you know, the fact that there are no fans in the stands or there was no preseason. So our group is, is, in, is tasked with trying to analyze a lot of that data and, and try and figure out um, what is, what has changed. And then, you know, the, the corollary becomes, okay, given that it's changed, what is that responsible for in, in terms of the end product on Sunday? And that's where it gets pretty interesting because there are a lot of other changes this year on the end product on Sunday too, with respect to points, margin of victories down, uh, and, and um, the product itself as, as by, certainly by, by those metrics um, has, has changed. So um, has officiating played a role in terms of uh, the, the, or has that changed? Yes, but again, um, it's hard to sort of pinpoint uh, the, the reasoning. Yeah, I mean, I was I was thinking about that myself as far as you know, obviously scoring's up. I, th I think we know that um, just looking on a per play basis, uh, like if we're using a metric like expected points added um, per drop back, it's up pretty significantly. Um, rushing is also design runs are, are up a little bit. Um, I mean, proportionally, it's kind of flipping from being slightly negative to, to slight, slightly positive versus some prior years. So you have those happening. Uh, Scrambles but... are up. Scramble effectiveness is up. Um, the, um, you have like the, you mentioned holding rates, they're down on pass plays, they're down on run plays, they're down on kickoff returns, they're down on kickoff touchbacks. They're just like the, the sort of across the board changes to a lot of stuff is, is, is really fascinating. And I certainly didn't mean to cut you off, but more just to say like it, 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 at least through five weeks, um, there are noticeable changes in, in so many different ways that, that maybe, um, you know, doesn't have a, an obvious explanation. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of it does. I mean, I, I think you can't argue or you could have you could have foreseen coming to this season that um, quarterback play, which we're assuming that that drives a lot of NFL play, at least, uh, you know, intuitively is, is pretty deep, I would guess, or 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 stronger going this season. But then you see a lot of quarterbacks who are having career years at the same at the same point in time. So then that kind of deflates the argument a little bit that you're just seeing better quarterback play generally across the league because you have the same quarterbacks who have been performing at X level are now performing at X plus plus a certain amount there. Um, do you think anyone is, is, is it does this sort of sort of trend? Does it set off? alarm bells or is it more like this is something we need to be tracking or is it uh you know th this is just a this is just an evolutionary thing that we want to step back maybe at the end of the season and then really really dig into there's very little we can do within a season uh other than making folks aware of this is what's going on um th there's there's just at least from a data perspective there's no rule changes uh there, there's there's just let's track it and let's be ready for it and part of that comes um, from, I mean, there's a, a pretty 
organizational wide interest in data that that's kind of exciting to be a part of and, and sort of you know we um, you know I, I mentioned I, I came in 2018 at that point our group was responsible for maybe two three weekly reports um, and at this point we're, we're sort of at least double that um, maybe like six or seven so um, you know the sort of interest in like okay what's going on on Sundays tell me as soon as you can Monday morning you know that that is that's that's um, fun's the wrong word because it, it's fun when the games are entertaining um, but it can also sort of be scary because a lot of what it happens is entirely out of our control uh, and that that's kind of where it's uh, it's it's part it's partly a reflection of the quality of play but it's also a reflection of what the owners and the competition committee want in the game and uh so from our perspective we're tracking it but most of it is so that come january and february our end of year reports can say here are the high level changes here's uh from a perspective of what impact this had on the game here's our our best guesses and then we sort of leave it up to the football experts and, and we can maybe help persuade them in certain directions if we feel like it's warranted. But by and large, we're leaving it up to them to say, OK, we want to keep this in the game or, or maybe we have to, to sort of um, rein that in a little bit. So uh, certainly be interesting to see what happens come this offseason, given some of the changes. Uh, but but uh, by and large, a lot of the high level metrics that we would like think of, of, of as good football games um, have 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 been positive this year. Uh, and. You know, the first five weeks um, in particular had exciting comebacks, had uh, a, a real low margin of victories relative to, to past years. Um, and it's not always the case, or it certainly could be perceived that as points go up, margin of victory is going to go up too. Um, and that hasn't been really the trend at all. So that's that's nice as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I could also see how if you don't have any team uh, intentionally slowing down their offense in order to to if you don't have teams doing that as often then that could also kind of enhance scoring right because both teams are playing it at a certain level um, um, where you know even if a team is behind they're not really enhancing their inf- efficiency they're just they're just playing they're just playing faster in order just yep. to score more points so so but whereas a team that's ahead is actually lowering their efficiency purposefully to, to drain time so i could see how the margin of victory thing ends up working out in favor of of additional scoring well you know a, a big thing in the media probably too big is uh fourth down decisions two-point decisions um, you know, whether or not the analytics uh, staffers on different teams are bullying their coaches into, <laughs> into, into, into making these decisions. Maybe you're bullying people. I don't know. Maybe you're bullying people at the NFL I, into making these decisions. But so what do you I mean, maybe we could talk just top line about about the trends. So you've documented some of this a, a good amount. And I think, you know, it's probably overweighted in people's minds, but it's it's very clear. You know, it's something that people can point to exactly without a, a coaching decision um, where a lot of what goes on with coaching is opaque. So but why don't we talk about fourth downs first and what, what we're seeing this year yeah i mean to be honest the only person i get bullied by is my <laughs> nine and six-year-old daughter so um, <laughs> uh, occasionally my wife as well but the yeah the um uh, you, you brought up scoring and and fourth downs is, is certainly playing a role um teams are going for it more often on four than one then um you know we don't have historical play-by-play data dating to like 1915 but if we did i'm pretty sure that <laughs> that we would still find that teams are going for it more now in, in any setting um, than they ever have before. Uh, and it's not just a couple teams doing it. It's the vast majority of teams. It is, um, it creates a lot of exciting plays, um, both goal to goal scenarios and uh, at midfield. Uh, and all those plays at midfield uh, come with a corresponding risk where, um, you know, when you look at like a win probability graph and compare 
punting plays to fourth down go for it situations, you know, the, the distribution of change in win probability on when teams go for it is, is bimodal. They get it and their chance goes up. They, they don't get it and their chance goes down. Um, and expected points chart would look the same way. Uh, and whereas when you punt, it, it's just sort of delaying the scoring. And so it, 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 there's a pretty obvious connection there where, where teams are going for it uh, more often. And that leads to potentially more scoring. Interestingly, they're also converting more often this year. And um, I, I don't necessarily know if that's due to chance. Um, I, I honestly, I think some of it is. Um, maybe there, there's something about not having a preseason for defenses that makes them less prepared to stop fourth and ones. But teams are converting on, on something like 70 plus percentage of fourth and one plays. Even fourth and two, fourth and three success rates are overall up. And uh, that, that sort of, you know, right, that leads to more going for it because um, if coaches can sort of do it once or twice and they convert, um, just the sort of human nature is to to want to do it again. Uh, so you have you have more of those. Uh, interestingly, like compared to year over year last year, for whatever reasons, teams were missing on two point conversions. This year, they're converting more often, and so I, I think some of that will eventually uh, revert back closer towards towards whatever the average is. Um, but but by and large, that is uh, that is a, a a major trend that is impacting a, a large number of of a uh, large number of things in the game and even something like really silly, you know, we track our group tracks punts out of bounds and, and uh, I want to say like last year in a typical weekend, we would have like 15 or 20 punts out of bounds this year. There was one weekend, there was like three um, and, you know, there's fewer punts out of bounds because teams just aren't punting as often. And, you know, year over year, I think even just through week five, we had like 140 fewer punts, um, you know, from our perspective, you know, this isn't all that surprising, but punts are, um, Generally, uh, they're, they're, at least relative to previous years, they're being returned less often, so more fair catches. Uh, you have, even when, when you don't have those, you, you still have a play that tends to have higher injury rates. It's the play that has the highest rate of penalties in the league. Um, so you can certainly see reasoning that, that getting rid of those types of plays or having fewer of those um, could be good for football. Uh, but um, that's, that's just sort of a, a, you know, one man's opinion that that's certainly not representative of the league. Um, but yeah, fourth downs are, are up and, and if fourth downs go up. That means fewer punting and that means potentially more scoring. So uh, that, that's certainly one trend we've, we've picked up on, but so has a lot of other, so have a lot of other folks. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone's becoming, um, or, or more likely to be, we talked a lot about the Ravens last year and what happened. And there was definitely this feedback loop of, of success leading to trying more, leading to success and then, and then continuing on. Now, I, w- one of the favorite things that, well, I mean, you've done a lot of great stuff and you've made public stuff too, which I really, I really appreciate. But one of them was using the exact ball location when discussing fourth down, because I think that's extremely important because if you have a fourth and one, it could be one inch. Um, I guess it could be almost a yard and a half. I, I don't know how, how, how they classify between one and two yards. Is, is, is it, if, it, if it's slightly more than one yard, does it automatically go to two yards? I'm not sure exactly how, how the NFL class, classifies it, but it seems like a pretty wide, like a wider range for one than any other number, essentially. Yeah, realistically, it could be all the way up to two yards. Uh, and oh, so the two yeah. is sort of beginning at the two yards. Now, obviously, that that's kind of inexact because those those distances are measured from from a, a score up in the booth, and lots of things can impact that: the TV angle, the angle from the booth. So um, there, there's certainly some overlap in those distances. But yeah, you know, I, I think as as we get the tracking data, um, you know, one of the the sort of first things that I've, I've kind of historically wanted to do was um, just check 
you know, I feel like fourth and inches, that's a much different chance of getting it than it is a fourth and a long one. Um, and, and I think there, there really isn't a fourth down decision, at least on a fourth and one or fourth and two, where I'm not thinking, okay, what is the exact distance? And if you have a fourth and inches, you know, maybe that's a go for it wherever you are in the field. Whereas if you have a fourth and a long one where it's almost a fourth and two, that's a, that's a close decision. If you're at your own 20 and you have a great punter, um, obviously lots of other variables um, that, um, that we are all well aware of that, that you would want to account for. But uh, the, the, from our, from my view, it was like, okay, we have this data and this is something, I mean, I was a center in, in college and um, I would largely, you know, support a quarterback sneak when my coach is like, can you get this quarterback sneak? I, I'll be honest. If it was a couple inches, I would always say yes. And right, if it was a long fourth and one, I'd be like, yeah, I think they're going to cover it pretty good. Um, but that was just because I, I was right. You know, when you're a center, you can, you can just go over the ball and you can move it forward a couple inches most of the time. So um, I, I don't tell anybody you can do that, but the, <laughs> you certainly can't do it in the NFL, but in NESCAC football in the, the early two thousands uh, you know, the, the quarterback sneak was a, maybe a, an easy play. And it is for a lot of NFL teams too. They're able to do that. So um, if you look at it, where teams sneak, they're more likely to sneak on, on fourth and inches too. So, uh, it's just another variable for analysts to consider. And at the league office, is there much to do with it? Not necessarily, but I think, you know, from, from, our, from our point of view, at least when I was, uh, working on that, it was, it was sort of like, here's an interesting way to use tracking data. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so I think by, by seeing the tracking data, it it kind of, it, it was, it reminded me a little bit in baseball. I mean, I'm not really a baseball analytics guy, but I remember there was a, a controversy about the the value that certain catchers may add, um, where it was almost, almost the, the quote unquote analytical position was to discount this idea that the catchers had much of an impact. And then once there was data um, that could really be dug into on, on pitch framing, then they started to learn. They go, oh, wait a second. You know, these these catchers are actually do have a lot of value. And it was it was a hidden benefit that people were probably overconfident did not exist, right? So I think fourth downs in a way, there's also this thing of, of who's right or who's wrong. And we start to notice that, you know, you know, coaches are pretty smart, you know, like fourth downs that were longer, they weren't, they, they weren't going for as much. Um, and fourth downs that were really short, they, they were going for as much. So you, you couldn't treat everything the same. I, I think one of the bigger differences that I've seen this year is, you know, you traditionally have this, this no man's land dead zone of maybe between the, the opponent's 35 in midfield where you do all the calculations of, okay, we can't really kick a field goal here. If we punt it, it, it could they could down at the one but it could be a net 15 yards or something like that um but now we're seeing on on teams on their own side of the field in these situations that we talked about where it's inches it's not it's not fourth and one it's not fourth and you know almost two going for it more how how much has that dynamic changed as far as really letting that that distance dictate it and then saying hey even if we are on our own 35 if it's a few inches early in the ball game we can go for it it's good. The, the rates of going forward have gone up basically everywhere. You know, even when I checked a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if it was the case, but I think through week three or four, every fourth and one opportunity from the 50 to the opponent 30, a team had gone for it. So that wasn't a single fourth and one uh, field goal of like 48, 49 yards. That wasn't a single fourth and one uh, punt. And um, that's, that's actually pretty extreme given all the, the sort of situations late in game that could come up. So um, they're going for it, uh, like you said, sort of across the field. And there are examples of before your own 20 where you're going for it. And um, certainly it seems to be the case. And I don't know what teams are using as they make those decisions. But the exact distance is, is likely one of the things that, that lots of teams are, uh, you know, directing their coach with in terms of, you know, talking to on the headset um, or going through, uh, you know, in, in, in pregame meetings. 
Now, the, going okay, going back to this fourth down two point discussion, um, I want to get your perspective on the public discussion around this. Uh, obviously, it came up quite a bit when we saw the Mike McCarthy go for two down nine, um, and so that's that was that was a big issue about that. We had Romeo Cornell who decided to put the game out of distance to go up nine potentially on there. Um, and then you have various discussions about you know, what's right, what's wrong, or analytics good, or are they bad? Uh, what do you see from in the public discussion that really, uh, I guess from a practitioner, makes you most most uncomfortable, either with the proponents or or the uh, or the opponents of, of what you're seeing? I guess maybe start with the proponents first, because I'm sure there's things you see out there where it kind of makes you cringe a little bit to see people, even if they're pushing forward in a way that you think is probably on the on the correct side of things. So I think one of the one of the, the the tricky aspects of analyzing a lot of this data is that we often think of whatever our model is spitting out as some level of ground truth. And um, our models are, are are dependent on what we put in. They're dependent on whether or not we remember to include penalties. They're dependent on how far back we went. Do we go back to 2015? Do we go back to 2010? Do we go back to 2005? Whatever. Uh, they're dependent on um, you know whether or not we're including pregame point spread in the model. Our group at the league office doesn't do it because uh, we are working sort of independently of the teams in, in, in involved. Um, but as an example, when we were you know going through the example with the, the Titans last week and the, the too many men on the field penalty, um, you know there was one win probability model that had the Titans chances at 10 percent. There was another win probability model. Uh, and, and ours, which also had the Titans win probability at 20%. And then I saw a third type model that had the Titans win probability at 30%. Um, and it, it's sort of humbling to know that, uh, you know, for, for sort of three different, you know, really smart uh, sort of uh, analytics groups that are, are sort of working on, on these models and trying to understand and help coaches uh, with these questions, that one group can be as low as 10%, one group can be as high as 30%. That is a massive difference um, for what at the time was a uh, second and, and one from you know, the opponent 30 uh, with three minutes left down one. Uh, sorry, the offense offense was, was up one, I think. Yeah, offense was up one. So um, I, I think that sort of uncertainty and um, uh, makes – you know, it should be humbling for folks that that are working on these, and um, there is no best model. And because of that, I think there's realistically there's some uncertainty and in, in wiggle room and in, in recommendations where, um, you know, and I know teams, some teams probably think of it this way, where you know, when you're tasked with making a recommendation, you know, it's it's like, okay, this is this is a hard yes, um, this is like a this is a soft yes, or maybe quite honestly, coach, we're sort of in the middle ground where we're not totally sure. Uh, and being able to give that latter answer um, isn't is, is maybe uncomfortable um, because uh, we want to be able to say like the coach should have done this, the coach should have done that. Um, quite frankly, a lot of the decisions that we often debate uh, when we think about doing choice A versus doing choice B, a, a lot of them might be correct by you know less than one percent of the time, right, or something, um, you know, sort of a small margin of error in in or you know small difference. And if that's the case. You know, maybe it's not trying to worth trying to push your coach or trying to sort of 
push the the public discourse um, towards one direction when quite honestly like it, it's it's pretty close uh, and um, that that's something we often you know on, on a non fourth down non two point conversion basis because you know we don't make those recommendations right? Um, right but it is something we often think about it in our group right is we're gonna we want to make an impact um, where where do we choose to make our impact in terms of like what what, do, what are sort of our strongest arguments that are supported by data, as opposed to circumstances where, you know, like it, it, it maybe is unclear, um, you know, how this would impact the game or, or how we should be making to, uh, recommendations. So that that's probably one thing that I would I would think, and that's not necessarily a, um, it, it's not a critique of any particular model or any particular circumstance, but I think it's it's the acknowledgement that uh, even as as analysts, we're, we're often wrong and, um, you know, sort of to, to, to be, as you make your arguments, uh, to, to understand like, you know, where we could be, you know, the baseball teams in the late nineties that were arguing that, that catchers weren't important, um, you know, because we're getting more and better data all the time. And some of our arguments that we're making now might eventually actually come back to us. Now, when you're looking at, I mean, not in this specific circumstance, but you see, you know, win probability, win probability has been another thing that people have pushed back on a lot, specifically pushed back on it being too low in late game circumstances, whether it's because of very high profile incidents like the Patriots coming back um, or the Chiefs coming back in the Super Bowl last year. Uh, how much when you're thinking about these things, because I mean, I've I've worked around with win probability, but I haven't worked at it that much. But I like to think it's probably not true. But I like to think that there's almost an intuition about something being too high or too low. So I'm kind of wondering, like, how much does an intuition trained on having worked on these things help you when when you're when you're building this versus saying, well, if 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 I've done everything properly as far as like like building an engine or something like that, that that it should work and whatever that result is is the correct is the most correct result because I've built it the most correct way, kind of. So I mean, a, a good example is um, is is trying to to think about how a lot of the the, the winning solutions on on Kaggle that use machine learning are, are often built, and often they take. Uh, ensemble models of, of different approaches, and then they average them using either a weighted average or or some other uh, you know uh, uh, algorithmic function to to come up with, with ways of, of weighting each of your inputs. Uh, and um, in a lot of ways, I, I think you know if I were to try and come up with the best win probability model for a football game, I'd be doing the same thing. Um, I wouldn't trust my own model. Um, I, I wouldn't trust it to to sort of pick out twenty versus twenty five percent. Uh, but if I had four or five different models, if I had one that was at 10, one was at 20, one was at 30, you know, I'd pretty comfortably take some type of averaging, maybe get something near 20 and then have a decent sense that that, that would work. Um, and uh, I'll be honest, I gave the example earlier with 10, 20 and 30. I took a little bit of, of pride in that our model was between them. Right. right. That was sort of like the, the average of those, um, because realistically, if, if, if you're comparing yourselves to others, this is the type of situation where in, if you're trusting the inputs and the work of other folks, um, you know, if I just learned that, you know, other folks all had it at 30, I would think that ours is probably too low um, and vice versa. If all the other folks had it at a win probability of 10 and we were at 20, maybe ours was a little too high. And we would try and think about like what, what sort of uh, changes can we make that would account for it? Um, ultimately, I, I think there's, there's enough, there's, there's some, um, there, there's some sort of capability of win probability models, but you know, at, at some point we also have to sort of cap our time that we put into them because, from our perspective, uh, we're we're trying to understand the game better, and if we're off by a couple percentages points, um, 
that's on a play, like that's probably not a huge deal. If we're fundamentally five percentage points off every time a team jumps off sides, well, then that's going to be a problem. And so we're more trying to sort of assess like, okay, here's the types of plays that we would tend to analyze and do they, do they work? Um, and honestly, a lot of the plays we find that didn't work were in overtime. Uh, and our, our overtime model uh, looks nothing like what anybody else's overtime model like. We have probability of a tie. We have probability of, of each team winning. And it's sort of a totally different simulation-based framework because we noticed, we looked at them and said, nope, these are wrong. So they're really hard to get right. But there's also this sort of acknowledgement that at some point we just have to move on because we have other things that are, are bigger and more important. And we have to trust that, that the work we put in is, is going to be good enough. Yeah, yeah. Now, I also I'm interested in your thoughts on human um, intervention, interpretation, uh, whatever it may be of these models. Because I'm, I'm thinking too, um, there was an article written about uh, the Ravens last year. You know, all their fourth down success. Um, they have a gentleman on the coaching staff, Daniel Stern, who's a really, really uh, good guy. So he was working with with John Harbaugh, obviously, on this, and he, you know, he he believes wholeheartedly that. He's giving the information to Harbaugh. Harbaugh is enhancing is 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 enhancing through his you know coach and his intuition and his knowledge of everything that's going on. Even if they try to build everything in, into these models on his decisions. Now, um, I guess I'm more skeptical only because I've been you know it, when they do studies on other types of models, very often they find that if you if you allow human intervention the results actually get a little bit worse because of because of the ways that, that that are put around it but i think those may be in circumstances where it's where you know you don't have as many um unknown unknowns i guess in in the model building process do you have any any feeling on that cuz that goes to a lot of the discussion is whether the coach is making the right decision or if the model is making the right decision um so anyway, I'll just leave it at that before I before I go too far. If you have any thoughts about about whether or not you know human intervention could it be could it be a bad thing in, in some ways? I, I certainly think it could be, but I think that's where it's on you as an analyst to sort of stress and and work with whoever you're making decisions with or helping make decisions uh, in terms of, of of the differences between you know which player to draft or the decision to go for it or, or, or punt or whatever. And if it's, a, if it's sort of one of those that's in a gray area where as an analyst, your best estimate is it actually doesn't make much difference, then that might be a situation where the coach, whatever variable that coach is going to add to the equation is something that if you were to have known and to have been able to add to your model, um, whether it's the right guard is, is benched, right? Like if, if that type of stuff that, that you might not exactly have been able to put in your model before the game um, or before the meeting or whatever it is, that, that's where it's up to you to sort of say like, hey, coach, is a gray area, right? And then the coach sort of has that, that time. NFL decision-making is really tricky, right? It's, it, it's, it's substantially easier for us to do this after the game where we don't have time constraints. Um, they have, they can talk to the, the, the coach and the coach can, can talk to the quarterback on a headset. That, that conversation cuts off at 15 seconds and um, there's, no, there's no machine learning algorithm that the analyst is looking at that sort of spits out in real time right at the play that sort of flashes before the coach. That is a split second decision. And um, those are tricky to make. So um, be, because of that, I think I, I think the the sort of communication between an analyst and the coaches is of utmost importance. And a lot of that comes from practice. It comes from meetings before the game. Um, and teams go about that obviously in, in a bunch of different ways. But I think the acknowledgement that that there sometimes there are um, uh, sort of ways that a coach can help that decision um, is is certainly warranted. But I think that's where it's you know if if this is a, a small difference versus this is this is a big difference. You know then that obviously comes into play there. 
Yeah, no, I, I think I, I agree with that. If it's a small difference, I, I, I do agree. Um, I guess it's just my intuition. Like I said, I could be I could be wrong about this. That when these um, these you know um, these factors come into play, these extraordinary factors that aren't part of the model, that naturally humans have a tendency to overweigh the, the difference. Like like it, often the people talk about this guard thing. Like if my backup guard or my guards getting getting killed or something like that. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's. I guess it would be my intuition to say, yeah, that could slightly tweak the model, but it doesn't take something that's a that's an easy gain, and it says now it becomes um, a loss, something something that that you shouldn't do. Um, so, I, I, is in those situations, I'm a little more dubious, but I but I agree that most of them are very close. So so obviously the, the coach is going to be adding some some edge here. Okay, I want to get into big big data bowl because I don't want to leave this stuff behind. So, let's talk <laughs> a little bit about. Um, this year's contest, previous year's contest, tracking data is obviously a big part of, of what's going on there. Um, this is, this is data bowl number three, correct? Correct. Okay. So this year, why don't we just talk about what we're doing this year and then I'll, I'll bring in what had been done in previous years and maybe how, how it's been refined and things like that. Cool. So this year's theme focuses on the secondary uh, and it, it's hard not to talk about this year's theme without tying into what we've done before. Right. Um, and so I'll, I'll actually go there, even though you didn't ask it. Our first year we did, um, we had a couple of different themes, uh, probably about 75% of submissions were focused on wide receiver patterns. And that was from our perspective was, was at that point, mostly a, an untapped area, um, route identification, uh, what were the best route combinations to run. Um, we, we noticed that most folks were focusing on the, the passing game and, or so, yeah, so year two, we came out and we did, uh, expected yards on run plays. And, um, from our perspective, we, we sort of set a target that each participant last year had to, uh, come up with a distribution of potential outcomes on run plays and assign probabilities to those outcomes. And then the one that was most accurate over the last four weeks of, of the 2019 season, uh, you know, was the, was the winner. So from our perspective, we did pass plays, we did run plays. Um, we're sort of left with a couple other areas we haven't done. Uh, linemen were, were certainly one we talked about. Uh, we, we do note that ESPN, which is is one of our, our closest media vendors, has done a lot of excellent work in that space. And so you don't necessarily want to come up with a, a contest that folks are easily going to have uh, sort of a target to aim for or to, to replicate. So, uh, you know, that, that left defending. And from our perspective, defending the pass play seemed to make a little bit more sense. So... Uh, the, the goal this year is we shared all pass plays from the 2000, uh, the 2018 NFL season and uh, all players uh, that are either eligible receivers or the quarterback um, or uh, the basically defenders that would be covering those plays. So potentially defensive ends, sometimes linebackers, cornerbacks, safeties, and it's where they go every play. And uh, it, it really, you know, given the data that we're sharing, you know, there are really only a couple of groups to analyze. One is wide receivers and, and the other one is is quarterbacks. And, and then obviously our, our theme for everybody is is defensive backs. And so um, what what types of coverages work best? What are the uh, what defenders are best at certain types of coverages? Uh, and, and granted, we're, we're dealing with data that's that's two years old now. But um, the, the goal here isn't as much, you know, ranking cornerbacks or ranking safeties. Uh, it's it's the algorithm itself. It's the thought process behind um, engineering features that that a football uh, team would want to have. So um, that's the focus this year, and we're excited to to sort of see the the creativity of, of submissions. Now, before we get into the specifics of of this this year, you know, you were 
you were spearheading this this initiative, I, I believe, initially. So there are goals going going into it, and then each year, I assume, based upon the feedback that you get from uh, from the submissions from the league from teams, you you know you you, you can you can think about it a little bit differently. Have have things changed as far as things that you thought valued that's being derived either by the public or by the league? Has it been a lot different than what you thought initially going into it, or has it been more of a of a tweak or a skew in a certain direction? So I will be honest, when we first came up with it, um, I, there were some goals that I and, and Jay Reed, who I work with uh, on this event, um, there were some goals that we outlined. And uh, each year when I come up with goals for next year, I take the goals from the previous year and I copy that slide. And um, I basically have the same goals every year. Uh, right. it's, it's like, how can we come up with a theme that fits these goals? Um, and it, it, it honestly, it's worked, right? Our first year we had uh, some interest, but realistically, um, you know, we had, uh, more than hundred submissions and, um, we had some, some really interesting and, and promising analyses. Um, at the end of the day, our, our prizes were, were what they were, right? We had NFL shop money and, uh, NFL tickets. Um, there was enough interest where, you know, by year two, uh, AWS came on as a sponsor, uh, and we're, we're now tied into some other league temple events. Um, our first and future group does a, a nice job running a health and safety driven data competition. And, and so, you know, we're sort of now wrapped in the, in the bigger picture of analytics initiatives at the league office, which is, which is nice to be a part of. And, um, you know, last year we had 75,000 in prize money. We were on Kaggle. We had more than 2000 folks submitted an algorithm, 32 countries, uh, took part in terms of representatives. So, you know, we went from, you know, kind of a, a, a a mom and pop shop to to now we're you know we almost feel like it's our own brand uh and that's a little bit scary because uh, i'm a data analyst right like i i like to analyze this data and come up with interesting questions but i'm also sort of excited and, and sort of humbled by the fact that there are a lot of other people that want to analyze this data so uh that that's kind of how we got to to where we are um with the event this year how do you think about the the competition as helping team i guess i'm thinking about the team perspective here helping teams think about the data or get actual ideas or solutions or ways to to do it and how much of it is about uh, identifying talent quite honestly because you've had a handful um maybe more than a handful now as as more and more trickle in who have who have gone the the big data bolt route uh you know via 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 this um competition then into nfl front offices yeah. Well, so I said that I copied and pasted the themes. I didn't actually tell you what the themes were, which right. I can probably, I can do, like, I'm not hiding them. Our first goal is, is, is to serve clubs. And ultimately, you know, the, the league is, is works with the 32 franchises and um, we want to make sure we're, we're, we're giving them possibly ideas. More importantly, that we're, we're providing uh, qualified folks who would be able to, to step in and, and answer, you know, similar questions in, in, in working with them. So um, in that sense, you know, I think our, off our first year, we had 11 folks get hired. Uh, last year, we only had three, um, but in fairness, there were, there were far fewer openings. So, um, you know, I don't know what we'll end up netting out this year, but the part of it is to, to sort of curate, you know, sort of a, a growing list and, and sort of group of, of folks that can step in and handle these roles. Um, our second goal is the innovation side. And from a, a league perspective, um, we are an organization that prides itself on trying to use data and trying to innovate and trying to improve the game. Um, and that, from our perspective, is, uh, you know, last year, you know, for example, we had the metric of, you know, where running backs end up on handoffs. Well, we got a good algorithm from um, Philip and Dimitri, uh, who are a pair of Austrian data scientists. 
Uh, we, because we're working with Kaggle, we got their code. We implemented that with our next gen stats group and CBS put it on the broadcast last week. Um, our next gen stats group um, provides it to teams. Um, it's been on the NFL network. Uh, it's certainly on, on Twitter a lot. And so, you know, uh, right now we're learning more about ball carriers than we did before. What do we end up doing with expected yards long-term? I don't know, but it's nice as something to be able to have. Um, and then the last uh, last part is is we are well aware, and this is, uh, I'm not going to lie, this is partly because I used to be in that audience. There's a, a group of, of NFL fans that wants to analyze this data. Uh, they want to learn more about football. Uh, and it, it's sort of a natural fit to be able to say like, okay, here's a, a sort of a subset of data. Uh, this is what the league is interested in. This is what the teams might be interested in. Um, you know, show us your ideas, right? Like I could have spent hours, months, and I would have never come close to coming up with an algorithm as good as the zoo did last year for predicting run plays. And it would be the same thing this year. I could have a lot of ideas about how to analyze the secondary, but we're well aware of that by crowdsourcing some of this, we're gonna get a better uh, algorithm and some better ideas than we had before. And that, that's exciting. And, and I think that uh, hopefully will encourage uh, future data scientists to, to take part in football. Now, I know that one of the I've heard you talk about this before, and one of it was to say we, we want to also have like a football aspect to, to the solution. So I'm wondering for last year, you mentioned the couple of um, uh, I don't know if they were Austrian or not, but you said Austrian uh, gentlemen who won. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think these guys even really knew what football like they really understood anything about football going going into the contest. Um, they're really good at uh, building models and machine learning and and coming up with solutions. So I'm wondering that that solution that was come up with and to have it be a um, a distribution of potential outcomes based upon the uh, the tracking data coordinates and acceleration and all that stuff at, at the time of handoff was it was that I I, I guess are, are, this year are you trying to like bring in a little bit more of like you have to have this football knowledge to it as opposed to that one could it could have been solved by one of these grandmasters in a way where I'm sure there were other solutions that maybe weren't as accurate that that brought in more football knowledge last year. So I think I think there are a lot of things that played into why we went with this year's theme. Um, I, I will also be honest. I've I've I, I feel strongly that uh, Philip and Dimitri from last year. By the end of the contest, they were football experts in this specific question. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's forms, fair. That's fair. The Kaggle forms are uh, one of the best aspects of this contest because if you don't necessarily know a ton about football, you can read up on what others are writing. And if you go into last year's Kaggle forms, you will learn a lot about run plays. And if you are willing to take the time, and if and I know I, we've asked them the amount of time that they spent, it's not a full time job that they were spending on this, um, but it wasn't that all that far off in certain weeks. And so the amount of time that they're investing to learn football, um, I think that in some ways is a lesson that the the, the technical skills uh, are are pretty hard to teach in that short amount of time, whereas the football skills maybe to answer certain questions. Um, are maybe a little bit quicker to pick up on. And last year's was a target. And part of the reason that um, we did it is because it was uh, something that our, our network wanted. It was something that media groups wanted. Um, it was something that I felt as a football fan I could learn from. Um, and I'll also be honest, part of the reason we went with this year's is we just didn't have that metric. Like there wasn't one thing that stood out that I knew could match expected yards um, or could match the distribution of, of run play outcomes. Um, maybe we'll have one by next year. Uh, but I, I think last year's was sort of a good fit of, okay, this is, this is 
you know, checks off a lot of the boxes that we want to fill. Let's go with it. And this year it was more a matter of, okay, we don't have anything that's checking off those boxes, but we do have a, a sort of a, a glaring weakness in that we don't know much about the secondary. Let's go learn about it. And that's kind of how that brought us to today. How do you think about how the the model from last year is being, um, I could say interpreted, um, being publicized, uh, you know, next gen, they have uh, by ball carrier, they'll, they'll say what their actual rushing yards per carry was versus the, the expectation. Then you have, you know, my friends over in the running backs don't matter community who will say, ah, you know, the model doesn't use running back. Uh, so therefore running backs, running backs don't matter. So h- how do you think about, you know, the, 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 the dynamic of, of framing versus, you know, wanting to make it interesting, wanting to make it interesting for people and wanting to engage people in it? I, well, to be honest, I think we don't necessarily know the answer of how we can use this data. I, I will right. certainly say in, in knowing how the zoo built their model, it, the fact that they're using running back speed as an input um, is already going to get us in trouble because Raheem Mostert is fast as heck. And if you're using his speed at handoff, you're going to assume that he's going to get a pretty good gain. Um, whereas mm-hmm. you compare it to uh, other running backs, maybe Gus Edwards, who's not getting the ball running it as fast. Um, uh, or, and I'm just picking one of many running backs who don't run as fast as most of So, So um, like th- that, that is inherently going to be a, a limitation. And ultimately I think if I were on a team or if I were trying to figure out like, what is the best way to value running backs? I'd probably want to re-engineer some of what the zoo did. And instead of saying the running back took this carry at this speed, I would say, okay, the running back took this carry at a league average speed. Right. And now you're you're not necessarily letting the biases of the fact that the running back is either fast or slower to begin with impact things. Um, ultimately, though, I still think maybe there is some use here. And, um, you know, there's uh, at this point a couple of years of this type of data. And, and I know clubs are, are trying to dive in to figure out what in this data is predictable, what is, is maybe more descriptive. And um, even if it's the case that this is a descriptive look at football, um, it's a descriptive look that we haven't had before. And um, being able to look back and say, okay, this carry was worth this, this carry was worth that. Um, And even if that doesn't necessarily translate to this running back's going to be able to do it again, um, there's still some value in sort of understanding spacing. And I think maybe we move past running backs. Maybe we're using it to analyze play calls. Maybe we're using it to analyze offensive line blocking schemes. Um, And right, like those aren't reliant on what the running back does, but that's sort of something that, that could also be considered. Yeah, yeah, I think it's. I mean, there's like a limitless almost amount of 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 uh, of uh, analyzing you can do on positioning of players and all that sort of stuff and, and running the model. So I think it's it's fantastic um, for 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 this data bowl or for future ones going forward. Is there any thought of? Uh, or would there be any reason to not use tracking data again? I mean, I know it's the sexy thing. It's the big data thing. It's it's the, the next frontier sort of thing. But um, is there ever a worry of focusing too much on on, on the tracking data um, or assuming that you're going to be able to derive more out of it than than is at least, you know, initially capable at these baby steps at the beginning? To be honest, we are always open to ideas. And if, if folks, whether it's, PFF or whether it's, you know, uh, Joe or Christine on Twitter who want to add us and say, Hey, go do this. Like we'll do whatever. Uh, I, I, um, we're open to, to various ideas and I don't think that we're necessarily tied to player tracking data. Although I certainly think that, um, given the, the novelty of this data, that some aspect of the tracking data would be interesting. Um, you know, we, we, 
we had a lot of possibilities that that tied into this year that that got nixed at the end um, just because we wanted to to keep folks focused mostly on the same type of analysis um, but but realistically it, we're trying to balance what our clubs want um, what uh, you know sort of the 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 folks in our media group and our next gen stats group think is interesting um, what is what is feasible like we don't want to necessarily come up with something that that people just can't do in three or four months because it, it's too challenging for certain reasons so we're trying to balance all that and we are definitely open to suggestions and, and not tied to any specific um, data set or or you know only one approach or or whatever yeah well i mean Again, this is just 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 one of you thought about it because definitely no uh, no criticism on my part because I think it's been fantastic. Uh, it's bringing so many people into the game. Uh, the way it's been able to apply is really cool and like like we mentioned before, it's it's feeding people into into you know a career that they may not have even really thought was was a possibility before. So it's very exciting from everyone on our uh, on our side of, of the world. And um, so you put the official announcement out today. Um, if anyone wants to check out more information, um, I assume obviously you can find it on the web or go ahead, follow Michael on Twitter at stats by Lopez. Not only get that, but you get these really cool graphs and distributions for the players. Every single, I, I, I love it when you, when you match two players on the same team, as far as their expected, uh, yards for for each of their, for each of their carries, you can really see how dramatic the distributions are in here when we're often looking at something like yards per carry and there are issues with, with that as a, as a stat generally because of how much it's based on situational factors, how much is based upon how much is thrown off by a long run versus a short run. So I, I love, I love all that stuff. Um, and I just want to thank you for your, for your time today. This is, this has been great. And you know, the NFL is better for, for having you there. So uh, I appreciate the fact that, that you made this transition to the NFL. Yeah. I mean, thanks for having me. And, and from my perspective, it's in, and hopefully uh, my guess is you share the same way. It's, it's like, it's an exciting time to be in football data. And um, the, there are, there's only 16 games in a season. There's only 160 plays in a game. Uh, and there's, there's just sort of a small, um, you know, sort of, sample size with which to, to sort of have an impact and better understand what's going on. Um, but, you know, on the counterpoint is that like, it just makes the, the edges that we can come up with as analysts all the more important. Uh, and so because of that, you know, I just see football data growing and, and it's fun, you know, at least in the league office to be a part of that. Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I just kind of wish now I had a little bit more technical capability to be, to be quite honest with a lot of this stuff here, because these guys are serious on there. But you know, at least I can just comment on what other people are doing, which is a lot more, it's a lot more fun than having to go and go and do it myself. So uh, once again, appreciate it, Michael, for, for you coming on. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Stats by Lopez. And for everyone out there listening, I'll be talking at you next week. Thanks. 